Jackson, I realized taking a shower yesterday morning that it's really mm-hmm. good you're doing the music for this episode because if yeah. it was me, I would just do the cover from uh, Lee Beat Agents of Skater Boy and then like the Mario Paint <laughs> version of Skater Boy and then maybe Skater <laughs> Die, but also maybe yeah, just, just skate legit Skater Boy again. Skater Boy is <laughs> a terrible song. Skater Boy was never in a Tony Hawk game. I don't care. That's A, that's tragic. <laughs> and B, it makes it better. I think it'd be hilarious if i just put skater boy in four times but it's a good thing you're doing music it's so she said see you later boy yep he wasn't good enough for her i hate you both Welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 31. I'm your host, Matthew Marco. With me is Jackson Tyler. Say hello. Hi. And erstwhile third chair turned regular third chair. We'd like to introduce the third part of this podcast, even though she's been here every time, basically, for the past whatever. Destiny Sturdivant. Hello. Destiny, you are joining us for realsies now. I know. It's so, so formal. It's, it's new and exciting yep, now you get me badgering everybody to podcast instead of the guest treatment really yeah oh i don't even get like the special like love interest treatment no that when i you, this is why you don't work with your love interest because it's still got to be work tune in next month when we break up <laughs> it's and true. we Let's still have the podcast to... together and it's all like strained mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna be really awkward for jackson for sure abnormal mapping the white album yep A- abnormal mapping uh the fleetwood mac that, story if if abnormal mapping no doubt if this is the white <laughs> album that makes me john lennon and i feel pretty okay about that i'm okay with being yoko uh, i'm okay with being the one of the other you're, ones i'll just be george harrison no, kind no, of boring it out the way makes you paul you're Paul. No! <laughs> this means, well, I'm going to live a long life, but I am going to do the music for Destiny, so up and down. I mean, you do the, the music for Destiny in yours podcast, so that's accurate already. <laughs> it's oh, true. look at that. Look at that. Plug Came in. around. Ooh. Professional. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. Work. Yeah. That's actually true. So, before we get into our second segment, Destiny, I know... Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about you coming on board and uh, how you feel kind of... I feel like you thought it was a great idea until we started talking about it and then you got a little spooked by it. It's uh, something that I was like campaigning for. I was really excited to do this. I've loved this podcast. I like talking to you two. And I love video games. Uh, so... Every time you were like, oh, I should get on a third person. I was like, well, I'm right here. Uh, thinking, oh, you know, I just play a game once a month and talk to my friends about it. No big whoop. And then as soon as, uh, you made it official, 
and I actually started playing the games, I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about video games. Is this a mistake? Should I go back and play every single video game ever released before I <laughs> record an episode? Because I, I just, I don't feel educated enough. I'm inadequate. And and that's where the freak out happened. But I'm just going to go with the flow. And, and you know, I, I feel like I have things I can contribute, even though I am not as uh, well played as the average bear. So, this past week, me and uh, Jackson and you were sitting watching E3 press conferences while Oh, God, Skype. that was this week. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime yeah. ago, but... Um, and I realized that, like, logos would come up, and we'd be, me and Jackson would be like, oh, we know who that developer is, that game's probably X or Y, and usually right, and realized that we've just been doing this too long. Like, just too long for people who don't actually want to be in video games or like have a job in video games and it was exhausting so it's nice that you can be the voice of the common person and we can maybe pop our little bubble of we've been doing this where you listen to too many podcasts about video games i i want to say that uh when we started this podcast i also felt completely ah and i remember that i'm just it's nice it's nice that you got over that I didn't. I'm just in the later stages of that. Mm. What you are the later stages? That. Just content- feeling okay with not knowing anything and still trying to play every video game and catch up. How's Metal Gear going? God damn it. I Oh no, my sister has flown to Mallorca. I have access to the television for um, two and a, uh, one and a half weeks and I, have, I can play Twin Snakes. How's Zelda going? Zelda is complete. How is Mario 2 going? Mario 2 is complete when you hear this podcast. That, that's fair. Is it actually complete as of the recording? No, it's okay. not. Not at all. I, but have you, not, it'll have be you done. not done tomorrow's yet? I haven't done tomorrow's okay. yet. I'm, I'm excited. Me too. Um, and because Wait, you... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Destiny. Oh, I was going to say that, yeah, watching those conferences with you guys, and this is my second year in a row watching at least the Sony presentation with you two, uh, that that was kind of hilarious because I don't know any of these developers or any of these companies very well, and you guys would just go into these spiels about everything and making little jokes, and I'm just like, oh, this is just another shooter. Oh, this is, oh, that doesn't look very good, and you guys would be, like, cracking up. Yeah, well, it was specifically your reaction to the Doom thing, which, to be fair, the Doom thing looks terrible. I mean, uh, that's also not a video of a real video game. True. true. But if they make that game look like that, it's going to be a bad game. It's going to be a bad game. But our reactions to it were colored by, okay, we've played Doom, we know what this is, this looks like all these other things. And Destiny's reaction, which is this way more beautiful and honest reaction than we had, was just, this looks dumb. <laughs> I mean, Doom is dumb. Like, OG Doom is dumb. Doom is so dumb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know the dumb origins of Doom. I just... Or at least how the old games look. But it just didn't seem like anything all that exciting. And it was just Mm -hmm. funny. Yeah. but Someday I'll play Doom for context. I I also think the writing those press conferences is interesting in that we've changed a lot from people who actually give a shit about anything that's going to be announced in those conferences yet we still have the holdover of people who did care about that for years beforehand jackson 
I plan on buying almost every game that was shown at that Square Enix press conference. So maybe <laughs> you shouldn't speak to this. Like <laughs> minus minus Rise of the Tomb Raider and oh, you don't want to find out how the Tomb Raider rises. And there was something else that I didn't really care about uh, the MMOs. I probably play everything else. I'm kind of like, oh, I should play Hitman. So that's where I'm at. I kind of okay. want to play Hitman. Well, I've, I'm in an hurry about buying Batman, so we all have our... To be fair, my, my wanting to buy Batman comes out of a way worse place, so, which is, Jackson, this no, looks no, no, fucking no. terrible. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. You, in your effort to play all the old games, went and bought a PS4. Hang on a minute. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was motivated by a couple things. Uh, one, uh, like, selfishly... People liked the Splatoon piece, and I was like, oh, I should kind of make some effort to stay current, I guess. So uh, I thought I needed the PS4 for that. Uh, and I knew I wanted to get one this year at some point, and I'd saved up enough beforehand. Uh, all I needed to do was wait for E3 to happen, and if they didn't announce a new console, uh, or a new like revision or price drop or anything, I could go ahead and do it whenever there was a decent deal. And I found a decent deal, so now I have a PS4. Nice. I, I I handled it about as well as I could have for as idiotic as an idea it was. Yep. I, by next year, we'll all probably be playing PS4 games, so that's exciting. Oh my. They won't be making any. That's not true. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Yeah, they'll, they'll be making them. There's already games on the slate. Slate. The slate of games. We're going to Game play slate. Firewatch. That's true. That's true. We're going to play Take on Mars. We're going to play Need for Speed, I, Jackson. Yeah. We are going to do that. I loaded up my PS4, and in celebration of having a brand new thing, I just replayed Sleeping Dogs. That's a, it's a good game. It's hilarious. It's the best. So, we'll probably talk about it next segment. Yeah, uh, that's a good segue. Anyway, any you didn't have to go and blow the segue by calling it out before I did it. So thanks. I cool out your segues. The worst. Uh, we're gonna go to segment two where we're talk about sleeping dogs and some other stuff. So, music. Just like mini pearl, just you and me, punk rock girl. We went to the Philly Pizza Company and ordered some hot tea. The waitress said, well, no, we only have it ice. So we jumped up on the table and shouted anarchy. And someone played a Beach Boys song on the jukebox. It was California dreaming, so we started took me to her parents for a Sunday meal. Her father took one look at me and he began to squeal. Punk rock girl, it makes no sense. Your dad is the vice president. Rich as the Duke of Earl. Yeah, you're for me, punk rock girl. 
so for segment two, uh, we have something that Destiny brought to us. Uh, do you want to preface this or set it up for us? Sure, I can. So I uh, work at a little title services company where we all just kind of sit at our desks and type and no one interacts with anyone until lunch. And a coworker buddy of mine, we were talking about video games at lunch and he mentioned he didn't like open world games. And I thought that was a really weird thing to say because, I mean, they're all so different. And I asked him why. And he just sort of said that, like, he liked games with structure and he found them overwhelming. And he didn't feel like he accomplished much of anything by running around a world and doing things that didn't have to do with the main storyline. And it was a waste of time for him. And I wanted to know what you guys thought of open world games. I like that complaint because it completely misunderstands what it's actually complaining about. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I felt like it was sort of, um, I don't know. It's, it's a, there was more to it than that, but I wanted to hear your opinions before I got more into like my own feelings and kind of like what he and I ended up talking about in detail. Okay. So, I want to preface this, we're specifically talking about open world games like GTA at all, and not sandbox games like Minecraft or uh, Terraria or something like that, right? We specifically uh, cited, I think Skyrim was the main game that he and I kept discussing. Okay. Yeah, that that definitely counts as open world, not sandbox. Yeah, no no sandboxes. I think of Skyrim as so different into how I would think of like Assassin's Creed or whatever, even though I guess they're kind of the same... Skyrim it has all the things of that, but it also has a genuine just hey explore the uh, massive icons in an Assassin's Creed game isn't for its open world design. Yeah, I, they integrate like m- the mission formal mission idea of a GTA much better into the world by just having mm-hmm. it flow from interactions. Because the yeah. actual problem with GTA, I guess it's not a problem, but all games of that type is that you just go to the icon and then a normal video game happens and then you're kicked back to the world. Mm-hmm. What about games where there's no, like, huge, uh, what's, like, the word I want? Differentiation between, like, the missions and the world? Like, like Skyrim, where it's kind of like, you're, you have... So, Skyrim is interesting, maybe interesting, but ultimately, like, that's a game in which your quests, which are the missions, basically just come out of the open world, but they are discreet from, like, I'm gonna go fight this bear and pick these flowers. Like, that's just stuff to do, but it doesn't count to the overall story progress. Like, you know when you're talking to people to progress the quest, because little text comes up and says, hey, you've checked off a part of this quest, you get to the next part now. That's true. That's very wow. That's what Warcraft does. Sure, but I also, it's not that different than, like, GTA's signposting when you're in a mission. It's just, like, GTA basically loads an instance when you go into mission mode. Mm-hmm. And uh, Skyrim just keeps it all integrated in the open world. I, I I think GTA is better about integrating it into the open world than you're portraying it. You know what we're not going to uh, do? Actually, what we shouldn't do, because I realize this is what we're doing, we're having a formalist discussion about open world games. Oh, well. Uh, oh, is that not what we're going to do? I... So I kind of <laughs> wanted exactly what we were gonna do. I, like I don't want to like define terms for a year. But... Oh sure, got it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, me neither. I'm not interested in that either. Um. So Jackson, you said that uh, his complaint was opposite of what 
you felt was true of the genre. Do you want to expound on that? Well, what I find overwhelming in those games is the abundance of structure. Like, it, the things are made meaningless because they, they aren't things that are allowed to exist in themselves. They are only things, like, propping up this massive structure. Like, you can go and do whatever, but it'll only get you 1% progress towards this quest or collecting these items, or you'll do one of a thousand races and everything things feels small and meaningless because it's all building up to, like this massive percentage of total completion which a game this is a, a, like a sandbox game like minecraft which is is technically open world but has completely different philosophies on how you approach anything every interaction is allowed to just be itself and have meaning in and of itself it doesn't which, build up to an accomplishment yeah. like i think it's the rigid structures of open world games that they put in there to give to give a sense of progression that actually lead to the feeling of being overwhelmed. Like, I felt that in all the Assassin's Creed games. So, I want to speak to GTA first. So, in GTA, okay. like, I really like GTA 4, but yes. the, the the idea of a percentage in that game was meaningless to me because I was there for the story it was telling because I thought it was actually really interesting and I liked seeing well, it play out. That's why I think GTA is slightly different because I think GTA is defined far more in its fidelity to its world uh, especially in GTA 4, like you are walking around New York City and you are allowed to enjoy the slowness of those opening hours in a way that other open world games don't do. In other open world games, you do just follow the marker, and I think that's a dishonest portrayal of something like GTA 4. Hmm. Okay. Um, what was the other game you brought up? Sorry. Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. As someone who 100%ed at least two Assassin's Creed games, and I might have done the original... <laughs> goodness uh <laughs> jesus christ and i might i might Hang have on. also 100 percent of the original assassin's creed i don't remember um why how i it was a different time in my life where i was a different person but i definitely 100 percented uh two in brotherhood uh she needed to see the feathers because her son was dead yep you know, for me <laughs> like a an open world game that is predicated on like a really good mechanic will be enough to get me to do all the things like something like uh, Just Cause 2 like I spent a lot of time doing stuff that really didn't matter towards the story because the story wasn't the point it was blowing up all of the things that were labeled bad guys well the thing about oh wait were you done? no go ahead Uh, the thing about GTA is like what I love about uh, a game like that is I never really cared for the missions. I found um, the last GTA game I played in great detail was Vice City, and I didn't care for the missions. I just liked running around trying to see how many wanted stars I could get mm-hmm. and blowing things up and causing a lot of chaos. And um, I think the like I like a game that gives you multiple ways to play it. Mm-hmm. The- and Go on. The uh, I think that's actually most people's experience with Grand Theft Auto traditionally. Yeah, we have a very different experience with G- uh, GTA because we kind of came to it with four. No, 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 no that's I'd not pl- true because uh, I I played four before. is the one I liked, but I spent entire nights in college oh, okay. passing around uh, Vice City. You go until you die, and then you give it to someone else, and they go oh. until they die. I did that a lot, but I never like sat down and properly made my way through a Grand Theft Auto game until four. Oh, I, I played. I, and... I played most of Vice City's story mode. Okay, all right, that's fair. But I think of 
pre four Rockstar games in a completely different sense than I do with post four. Or it's not even post four. I think I don't like GTA five at all because that approach to its world is bad and gross and shitty. Uh whereas I like both uh four and Red Dead Redemption for allowing me to just be in cool spaces okay, that so, I can ignore. So Red Dead Redemption Four is really great at your like the story stuff. I think the world interaction is actually pretty badly done. Uh, outside of like, like the incidental walking around stuff is great, but the minute you're like, I'm going to go play darts or I'm going to like worry about collecting cars. Like that game's not very good at any of those things. Oh, sure. I just mean walking around Mm -hmm. and, um, driving around. Meanwhile, like Red Dead Redemption, I think it succeeds specifically in it's like weird random moments, even though I think the story is actually like the part I don't like that much about that game. Redemption story is bad, but because the world doesn't have dick jokes every five minutes because it's a mostly empty desert, it's just a Vista horse simulator, mm-hmm. and that's why I like that game. So, can, go ahead, Destiny. Can I have some context as to why it's bad? The GTA 4 stuff that you just mentioned. So, oh, GTA 4, um, like they specifically wanted to make a more realistic physics engine. And in doing so, they made a game that plays a lot slower, and cars handle, like, weird, and they're much more fragile than they were in prior games. And in general, it's a game in which your ability to do crazy shit is much, it's much more minimized than prior games. And that's why something like Saints Row rose to prominence, because Saints Row sells itself on, hey, are you tired of GTA being realistic? We're going to give you superhero shit uh truck simulator nonsense game. <laughs> yep. Accurate. That's that that's all true. Those words make sense in that order. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um but uh Red Dead Redemption kind of like there's the main story mission stuff that is very similar to prior Rockstar games, but the open world with like the random events that happen reads way more like a Bethesda game in which you're get specifically Fallout more than Skyrim, I think, given that you're given a big empty waste to kind of wander through, and sometimes you'll just come across some weird thing that might just be like a 30-second one-off, it might be like a 10-minute mini quest, or it might just be like the beginning of a thing that's going to like take up a like a quarter of the game. Ah, that's actually, I just remembered that Fallout was the game that started our whole talk at work about open world games, because he wasn't excited about the new Fallout, and I've never played a Fallout game, uh, but I always thought they looked really cool, so I was just sort of like, oh, why don't you like them? And he was just like, there's too too much going on, I just want to... Do a, go through a story. I uh, and I know that's I pretty really subjective. like Fallout. Like Fallout is, like Fallout Three is one of the most important games for me. Like being into games as an adult, I think. Mm. Like if I hadn't played that game, I don't know if this podcast would happen. In what about it made you feel that way? I so I'd never played like a Western RPG before, and that game just like after the first what like tutorial, you're just kicked out into the world and. Like, the the ability to just do whatever, but also everything is, like, reinforced by a story and characters was really interesting. Because doing whatever is fine in, like, a game like Just Cause, where it's just, like, I'm going to mess around and blow stuff up. But the thing, the do whatever in Fallout is predicated on a world that you kind of get to know and care about and people that you interact with and know. Even if Bethesda's writing isn't that great and, like, you don't, like, love any of the characters, you're friendly enough with them and you spend enough time with them that you get a sense of place and you get a sense of home. Like, I go back to Megaton and I'm like, this is my home base and I'll sell things to these people and it'll be like usual and then I'll go out into the wilderness. And the the best part is that 
the quest system is open-ended enough in Skyrim's the same way that you never know if you go into like a random cave or like a random house, if you're going to find nothing, just like maybe some loot, uh-huh. or if you're going to find the beginnings of the thing that you love the most in that game. Cause like, you'll just stumble across incredible quests that start with like the humblest of beginnings or just weird things that are there to be a weird, like bit of environmental storytelling. And that only exists for that moment. And then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, all that stuff was like really heady to me when I had played that game because I'd never played anything like it. And so I just really got lost in it. Like I put like 120 hours into Fallout 3. And that's what appeals to me, like playing games like that. It's the idea that you can just kind of make it this thing that I'm going to use that bad word that in games talk you shouldn't use, the immersion of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that you, through that immersion, you can kind of just make your own story within the game that has i mean it's related to the story it's related to the plot but it's still yours and it's kind of unique Mm. so we can like swap stories like about our experiences within those games and i and i really really appreciate that yeah uh, fallout and uh, skyrim are built on a sort of like it's kind of a deliberate moral ambiguity that a lot of people like kind of roll their eyes at in games because I think it's handled really poorly a lot of times. But realistically, in those games, like the good, there is no such thing as like a good choice, but there's also no such thing as like a really terrible choice. Because the problem is, like you look at a lot of games that try to do moral choice poorly, and it's like, oh, there's like save the kitten and kill the kitten, or there's just both of them and with a dead kitten. It's just which way do you want to go about it? Which is like right. kind of like uh, Dragon Age does that a lot. I think The Witcher does that uh, pretty frequently. But Fallout gives you choices that are morally gray at all times. And so, like, I'm doing a Let's Play of uh, New Vegas right now. And I had to, like, replace the sheriff of a town because the sheriff was killed. And the townspeople were like, we need someone else. And the options were, like, this convict that I could get out of this prison to do it. But he wanted to guarantee that he wouldn't be persecuted for taking the law into his own hands from the like governing force of in this area, or I could go to them and request military assistance, even though they're kind of stretched thin and they will just make this a protectorate and they'll like instill, install soldiers there. And neither of those choices is great, but like I was, I was left kind of wondering what would be best for these townspeople. What do I think is the right choice versus what they might want? Uh, And that's the kind of options that a game like that gives you. And none of it, I don't think, is plot relevant. Like, I finally made my choice and the town is whatever. And I bet I will never go back there again. But the moment that that gives me that option and it doesn't actually, it doesn't, like, branch the path like a Walking Dead or whatever when I make that choice is really important. Like, you make these choices and they don't affect the world. And I think that's what's necessary in a big game that allows you to roleplay. Exactly. I think you're describing a very different kind of open world game than what I think of when I think of open world games, because I haven't got into these big RPGs, because I think what Bethesda does, and like what some of the uh, newer Rockstar games try to emulate, is this like a modal approach to RPG storytelling, Mm -hmm. where you can stumble upon a thing and it'll go either sprawl into a massive thing, or just be its own little uh, moment, and that's all cool, but when I think of open world games that I really like, I think of games that are more like about th- the world itself rather than about the experience of what you find in the world. Mm. Like but Burnout Paradise or Spider-Man 2 or even Project 8 that we're going to talk about later. These are games that are about the world in which you move in. They are an open world uh, which is 
enjoyable to be in regardless of whether or not you have found a mission or not like if you just walked around fallout and never accepted a mission that's a bad you would not have a good time i mean it's evocative and it's interesting like it actually works as like a walking simulator but oh yeah the 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 part of that game that really works is that like you do that enough and eventually you will find a discrete bit of content quote unquote and then mm-hmm. that'll happen and then you'll just wander out and around again like it's the it's the varying like peaks and valleys of that that really make something like fallout evocative you know what that reminds yeah. me of hmm. kind of on a tangent that guy that got level 90 in world of warcraft without doing any like killing or without leaving the starting zone or picking an uh a, a side in the alliance or horde faction like he just gathered herbs the whole time mm. do you remember that last yeah. year and yeah mm. level 90 panda yep. uh fallout yep. uh i mean like game fallout games like that aren't really predicated on that exactly you could totally go through fallout without killing anyone and level up pretty high probably just from discovering stuff and talking to people it'd be a way harder experience but uh and probably not a very fun one but it is totally possible um but i mean the game is not really about that i mean wow is not really about that also i guess Right. But speaking to Jackson's point, uh, like a more explicit, like traditional open world game in which you you have your open world and then you go to like discrete missions or discrete challenges in the case of Project 8. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think being in the world has to be fun. I don't mean it has to be fun. I mean, the being in the world on its own can give you the exact same like joy or like the reason you're there than being in a mission or not like i can swing around spider-man in a mission or i can just swing around spider-man and that's great like being in the open world is the reason i am there so in the first place the game that you kind of brushed up on to talk about this is a game in which i actually disagree that this is the case which is sleeping dogs which is oh no, Sleeping Dogs is is uh, diff- very different. Which is it, which is, but it, it's it is a very traditional open world game. But you are entirely there for like the story and world building of characters. Sleeping Dogs to me is like the proof that the open world structure that often pushes me away can be done really well. How so? Because it is because it's just uh. I, I don't think... It, I, I GTA is the main comparison point, but I don't think that's true in a modern sense. I think it's more like just a standard crime open world game with side missions and towers to... Well, security cameras to unlock and things to collect. Uh, like an Assassin's Creed game or something that would be usually overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. But because its world building is so strong, its characters are so... Uh, well contextualized in, in the world. Also, the world is small and full of detail in a way that a lot of open world games forget to be. Uh, it nails everything it needs to nail, and playing it is the best. It's the best. It's the the best open world so, game of that form. I, I really like Sleeping Dogs. I don't think necessarily it is like super small and detailed. I think specifically it gives you time in the first island more like enough to make it feel really small and intimate. The rest of that game, I feel like, is just like a blur. Like the other two islands, I don't care about at all. But when you're on that main island, it is home to me because, like, you spend a lot of time there. You walk around, you learn the area, and so much of that game yeah. is about physical traversal, like those areas where you're just running across rooftops, chasing people, and like careening through market stands and stuff. Like all that gives you a sense of place, like an ownership mm-hmm. of the space. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I Sleeping Dogs is great. Sleeping uh. Dogs is great. <laughs> Destiny should play Sleeping Dogs. 
I, it's on the list. The list is long. The list is long. Amen. <laughs> but uh, if you look at that game and you compare it to like another game that we talked about, like Yakuza, uh, which is ostensibly an open world game in which like the amount of things you can do is actually legitimately overwhelming, but in like the most gamified way. Yakuza 3, you should go, if you haven't listened to our Yakuza 3 talk, please go back and listen to that, because we touch on all the stuff there. Yeah. But it, on paper, if you look at the things you do and the way you approach things, it, it is an open world game well, that's, in a traditional like, sense. Interestingly, but if you actually play it, in, it's not. Interestingly, like, that game was marketed in the West as, like, a GTA also. GTA, ran. yeah. And it's not, like, it is an RPG that just happens to take place in an open world. Mm-hmm. Like, it has random battles. Yeah. It's all about going up to and talking to people to then go find the next people you need to talk to. It is straight up just a PlayStation RPG in many respects. But the open world stuff is actually really strong in that it gives you a very... Like we, we, I mean, we've covered this, but it gives you a very intimate space. Like, way more than Sleeping Dogs, even. Like, that's the game in mm-hmm. which you will learn every street and every shop by the time you're done. Mm, yep. Good point. You will know all about Camarocho. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, like, I liked... Grand Theft Auto 4 a lot, but I took taxis everywhere. I didn't know where anything was in that game by the time I was Oh, done. but I I know I knew the entire layout of Hove Beach though. I I didn't. Like I couldn't tell you anything no. about that game. Oh, I could you you have the apartment under the train line to the right is the restaurant and the little park and then there's that like arc thing and that goes towards uh the pool house where little Jacob is. Like I knew the first island there real well. No, I I, I literally just took taxi cabs everywhere. So I beat that game in like 20 hours and didn't touch any of the open world stuff basically. Oh, I started taking taxi cabs after I like after the game stopped being about the small rote existence of uh, Nico's life and became just a shooting game, then I stopped caring about the open world. Like the game's story focus caused me to stop caring about its, uh, I, uh, its tinier. Moments. I decided when I started that game that I was going to go for that beat the game under thirty hours achievement, which was part of it. I still got it. So good job. No, thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I. Th- when open world games became a thing, I was the person who thought that they were bad. Like, I was like, oh, like, I'm an RPG snob. I don't care about these big open worlds. Um, and on some level, like, I don't really like Saints Row because I don't think it's a fun game to play, even though I like a lot about its tone and its ridiculousness. Um, and it, it stems out of that stuff. Like, I don't necessarily think open worlds are fun to explore by default. Like, look at what it happened to Batman when you put him in an open world. Those games went to shit immediately. Yep. And the parts where it's not open world are still pretty solid, but they wrap it in the most boring open world on Earth that is seemingly devoid of anybody you can't beat up for narrative plot reasons for because you have to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing with open worlds is often they just mean an empty area in which smaller levels are put. Like, Batman Arkham Asylum feels bigger than any of the following Arkham games because it's all one tiny space and you get to know it. Yeah, they just made Metroid in 3D. It was great. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, but... um, Like, in a more traditional open-world game, like, because everything is discreetly spun off, like, I think... I, I don't understand how you can get overwhelmed when your mission markers are constantly on your mini-map. Like, I guess that's what it boils down to. Because you don't, your mission markers aren't constantly on your mini-map. You have a thousand mission markers on your mini-map. 
except so everything you could like do. you know the one that matters i don't know i think uh i i understand it like i i, I keep coming back to assassin's creed because that's the peak oh my god look at my mini map i'm turning this yeah, game off and then. i but but you know which one you go to to get your next mission and you know which sure, ones are just, there's some courtesans, there's a tomb, there's a bunch of chests, there's some guards, or whatever. But it has it has the double effect of, oh my god, this world is full and overwhelming, and also, I know it, what everything means from a piece of paper, uh, this world is empty. And it, it is this combination of overwhelming and empty that just makes me want to turn those games off immediately. And I think that's a fair complaint. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think it's interesting that like to me assassin's creed is a game where like i just kind of like to run and jump around in uh specifically like two and brotherhood are the games where they changed the engine with three so it went to shit okay i haven't really spent any time with games after those ones um but uh so for me i could just like it doesn't matter if like i'm not if i like feel the emptiness of the various parts i'm fine just tooling around which is kind of how you feel about burnout paradise Except Burnout Paradise doesn't have a thousand things to collect. It has a few races. It has, a, like, hundreds of events, though. And billboards to break. Like, it has plenty of stuff to do. Don't pretend it doesn't. It does. Oh, it's integrated so much better. They don't take up space in your map. They are designed to give you, like, little rewards for just exploring the nooks and crannies of that world. Mm. Burnout Paradise is the best game of the last generation. I will hear no I kind of feel the way you against. feel about Assassin's Creed about Burnout Paradise sometimes. In that there's too much stuff, yet it feels really empty to me. And I like no, that game a lot, but oh, I do oh. feel that way. Okay, well, you can feel that and be wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's just the way. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Anyone got any final thoughts? Or I hope we burned this one to the ground. I think I'm good. Yeah, I think I think we did it. All right, well, that about wraps it up for open world stuff. Uh, after the musical break and the ad read, we will be back for our Game Club game, which uh, is all Jackson all the time. Get excited. Uh, yep. Get I'm excited. You should. Groaning is not excitement, Jackson. It's a very British form of excitement. Jackson today with the midsection plug zone ad blah blah thing amalgam of stuff because uh, I'm putting the podcast together because Matt knows absolutely fuck all about music from the Tony Hawk series and probably hates it all rightfully because it's bad but I love that trash so I hope you're enjoying the music and the podcast it's a good podcast as ever please support rate and review on iTunes the usual stuff I know it's annoying for us to say this every time but we put it in a good place we put it in the ad read we don't uh, bog it down at the start of the show hopefully making good things for you to enjoy uh, at the moment on the site there's a bit of writing going up I think today an old games introspection went up uh, I just wrote about something else but I've forgotten what it was oh the consoles I put a console away and I wrote a weird emotional thing about that uh, Matt's playing Vania Mania on the, uh, for Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest on the YouTube channel and that's looking good it's a lot of fun for me to not be playing Mario anymore holy shit but yeah lots of stuff as ever going on around these abnormal mapping parts 
Let us know what you think. Give us any feedback, whatever, whether it's good or bad, on um, podcast at abnormalmapping.com because we need to know. We want to know what you think. I think this is a particularly good episode. Matt really likes it because uh, it's, it's good talk. Ain't too much goofing. So, enjoy the rest of the show. Total concentration, but there's kids in the back holding conversations, cracking on each other, and neither were poster boys. Both of them smell like the type of sober boy. Coast enjoyed a leave of absence. One fool's piece smelled like it struck some matchsticks. Brimstone, girls would never bring him home. I was laughing. Segment three is going to be focusing on Tony Hawk's yeah. Project 8 because I wanted to play a Tony Hawk game and talk about it because I like, I like skating games a lot. That's my jam. Uh, and I chose Project 8 specifically because I think it's the most interesting one. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 is often thought of as the high point of that series. And while I don't disagree, from a certain respect, I think Project 8 is the most accessible and the most successful at translating the goals of the Tony Hawk series into uh, an era that human beings can actually play for more than two minutes at a time. Also, I would have vetoed Project or Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. Yeah, and I think it's been talked to death. Like it, the things that are good about it are very. Uh, everyone knows what they are. Everyone knows what that game is. Whereas Project Day is I, I don't. I think all of those early Tony Hawk games are awful. Really? Yeah, I think they're, they're not, terrible. They're not that. Bad. When was the last time you played three? Now that you know what Tony Hawk is, go back and play three. Okay, I will. I guess. No, you won't. But deep down, any game with like a so. Before we get into this, I want to state, I came to skateboarding games through Skate 2. And I think it's a beautiful, amazing game. And playing Tony Hawk's Project 8, I'd played a little bit of Tony Hawk and could not decipher its like weird arcadiness. And Project 8 is a game that for the first like six hours, I hated absolutely. Okay, so that, we'll get into that in a bit, but I'll do some more proper intro for those okay. who Go aren't uh, fully up on the Tony Hawk's thing. So... Tony Hawk's was uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I think the first one was, or was it just Tony yes. Hawk's Skateboarding? No, it's just Pro Skater. Okay. Oh, it was called Tony Hawk Skateboarding over here. There you know. The more oh, okay. you know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and um, it was a very different game to what Tony Hawk would be. But over years of additions and adding manuals and adding reverts and taking away the two-minute thing, uh, going into the 360, Tony Hawk had to kind of reinvent itself and strip itself down in a way uh yes that's right project 8 is actually a very stripped down version of what tony hawk was before that try to wrap your head around that matt and um project 8 is the first attempt to do that and unfortunately it was the last attempt to do that because the game after wasn't very good and then they were turned into a guitar hero house then a call of duty house then shut down and it was a tragedy for all (sighs) the tony hawk story is sad but I really like Tony Hawk. I think it's um, ridiculous controls of free-flowing combos are this beautiful tool of expression and way to just move around the world that I love. And I wanted to see how that translated to people who hadn't played one before, or at least in a long time, or thought skateboarding games were something else because skate's pretty awesome too. So, all right, Matt, what go? go. Let me know what. <laughs> just go. Just, just go it. Take it away. 
I want to point out that in between becoming going from a Tony Hawk house to a Guitar Hero house, Neversoft made Gun, which is a great game that nobody remembers but me. I remember Gun. Many Gun jokes were made about that. Gun was fun. I remember Gun. It's not like a great game, but it's a cool game. No one else can make a game called Gun now. They already did what, it. What was the plot yeah. of Gun? You're adopt you were like a half native guy and your father who i think is voiced by chris christopherson gets killed by someone and there's like this plot about this guy who owns a railroad and wants to get gold out of mountains and you have to stop him because he's gonna like take over towns and be evil it's just like a mishmash of dumb uh western tropes especially specifically really late western tropes like stuff after western expansion and there's like big towns and railroads encroaching and native americans are disappearing they're not like at war they are actively losing stuff like that interesting uh, yeah, I mean, it has all of the nuance of a game from 2005, which is none, but, <laughs> uh, the final boss is a guy in a suit of armor throwing dynamite at you. It's pretty great. <laughs> you sure um, this isn't just Wild Wild West? <laughs> it's, it, it is clearly probably at least a good amount of Wild Wild West inspired. Great. Anything that takes inspiration from Will Smith's 1999 classic film. Wild 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 West West is all right in my book. It was a television show before it was a film. I know. I know, but I feel like nobody remembers the show. (laughs) It was like weirdly steampunk before that was a thing, I heard. I've never actually seen it. Mm -hmm. So skateboarding. Um, So Skate 2 is a great game in which... So you didn't really describe it, but the Tony Hawk system of doing things in that game is... All through button combos and like dialing in tricks like in rapid succession. Like you press a button to do a grab and then you press a different button to land on a grind and then you press a different button to jump and then you press a different button to twist. And then when you land, you press a different combo to manual and then you have to balance. Then you can do that again on a grind. Um, And skate is all based around like your right stick as an expression of doing tricks in skateboarding involves understanding the physics of your body and just moving it in a specific way and then doing a specific trick. And then that's it. Like skate requires you to actually land on a rail with the deck of your board to grind. And if you don't, you will, you will fail. Like if you hit with the wheels, it'll be weird and you'll like bounce. Uh, if you don't hit flush, you'll be out of balance and you won't last very long. Whereas Tony Hawk has a magical magnetic grind button. Which I think says everything about the two games that you need to know. Yeah. Um, like ollieing in that in skate is to pull back and push forward on the stick. Like you have to like you have to basically like preload your moves because it takes human momentum to build up the energy for a jump or like a trick. Um, whereas Tony Hawk, you just fly fifty feet up into the air, spinning like like you are made of magic and rainbows. Uh I think it's probably important to say that Tony Hawk did not start out that way. Tony Hawk okay. 1 was um, a game far more... About, like It was very similar to Skate. Uh, there's an errant signal video that summarizes the first four Tony Hawk games really well. I recommend you watch that. I'll put that in the description. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, it, you find lines to get tricks... Uh, it is based on your relationship with the space in a way that future Tony Hawk games are not, but Skate definitely is. Uh, because if you don't have the right grind and skate, you, you're not getting any points. You're done. Um, but like, 
ultimately, I don't, like, Skeet really isn't about points to me. It's about feeling, like, I'm never going to skateboard, A, because I don't have a physical aptitude, but also because, like, the idea of falling down onto pavement is terrifying because I'm a child. Me too, me too. Uh, me too. Um, it feels like what I imagine skateboarding to be like. And Tony Hawk is, like, a cool thing to watch you spin through the air, but realistically, like, what you're doing doesn't feel like skateboarding. It feels like playing a fighting game to me. Like, Tony Hawk to me is just you fighting the environment through endless combos, and... I don't think that's fun. I disagree. I agree that it doesn't feel anything like real skateboarding. I disagree that it's a fighting game. I mean, it, it isn't the thing the buttons you're pressing, but... The buttons it asks you to press and the speed at which it asks you to press them in relationship to what your avatar is doing, the only game that is like that in, in terms of demands is fighting games. I agree. But the relationship between you and the environment is not the same as the relationship between you and another character in a fighting game. It gives you way more expression than that. The combo system is massive and labyrinthian, but the uh, positive upside of that is that you can pretty much do anything off any object at any time. And once you do get to the point of understanding the system, which I'll grant you, no human being who didn't grow up playing Tony Hawk should ever try to do. So yeah, we played... You were on Skype with us as me and Dusty played through the tutorials of that game, which are awful. Oh, they're the worst. They You learn nothing. I managed to flummox my way through them, and then Destiny just gave up, and we both went to the open world, in which we continued to not really understand the game for hours until finally, Jackson, we just had to watch you play <laughs> for a little bit. Yep. Because the actual, like, game you have to play doesn't, it doesn't bear any relationship to what you think a skateboarding game would be. No, like... Because your thing is, the way you play that, and the way I guess you're supposed to play that, is just, like, the most choreographed, mirror's edge, like, speed run ever. You just skate your way through and trick your way through the environment. Yeah. You're just, like, bouncing onto rooftops and then down into alleys and manualing everything, and it's just ridiculous. Oh, and mm-hmm. I, I'll admit, like, once I actually, like, watched him do that, that made the game more fun because it wasn't. But the so... game never explains that that's how you're supposed to oh, play. Oh no! It's, it, of course it's not. It's never no. <laughs> self-evident. Uh, and whilst it was self-evident in like earlier games, those games were also so slower and so different in how they conveyed themselves that there's no way to actually re- like what you are watching on screen has no real correlation to what you're meant to do. I mean, it does, but not until you know what it means. Well, what you're watching is you watch your guy jump and you watch your guy go through the air and you watch your guy land and you assume that those states have a correlation between what you're going to do at the time. So you wait to press the grind button until you have a rail. That's not right. true. Yep, that's, yeah. that's what that's like coming off of skate. I was constantly like preloading tricks and then messing things up i was holding down the jump button too long when i didn't have to do any of that like i was doing everything wrong because i was expecting there to be like actual human physics and momentum and that game is not about any of that it's really really strange like Mm -hmm. it was hard to get used to what did you think about uh coming to it for the first time destiny because i know you haven't played a skating game before i've played them but it was so long ago Mm -hmm. i think i played tony hawk 64 like it was that long ago. Anyway, um, this was at first really, really frustrating, and then I guess still kind of frustrating. But uh, because if you can't land the tricks, you can't really uh, like hit the goals, and you can't really unlock anything. So you're just skating around the same areas over and over, and everything looks really cool. But the idea that like what's happening on screen doesn't really match up with your 
hand, like what you're pushing kind of made me more aware of my fingers in a way that I usually don't feel uh, when I play a game that's based on a lot of physicality. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about my fingers a lot, and that was making everything a little more confusing, and uh, and that's where the frustration came in. But, like, for instance, I got really good at, like, jumping gaps and, like, fixing up, or not fixing, but leveling up my different stats, but I never actually unlocked anything, because mm-hmm. I couldn't get that that first little grind goal that you're supposed to do where you grind from one spot to another on the sidewalk uh was mm-hmm. super hard to figure out because not only are you pushing you're jumping off to start the grind then you're pushing triangle to do the grind and then you have to there's a balancing mechanic that you have to suss out yep. that has to do with either the the analog stick or the d-pad and i couldn't figure out how to like maintain the balance long enough to get to the next grind goal. And that was just the worst. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that Tony Hawk is an incredibly, like just like skate, it's an incredibly physical game and it Mm -hmm. requires you to understand. Like, I don't think it's disconnected from physics in the way some people have described Tony Hawk. I just think the physics that it requires you to innately understand have no conception or link to what you would expect physical like the physical reality of the world you are watching to be from right. any learned or lived experience whatsoever. So <laughs> it's a very far, it would have made more sense in a time where games were often more arcadey and um, this kind of thing was like more inbuilt into games around it, but games like skate exists and everything else about the way movement works in games like Assassin's Creed, it's all very physical and logical for with how we perceive physics, whereas Tony Hawk isn't that even a little bit. Uh, no, I uh, Tony Hawk. So, not coming from the original like Tony Hawk games, which are clearly like meant to be very arcadey things. Like mm-hmm. coming from the other side, if Tony Hawk, the problem is Tony Hawk presents itself as oh, you're you build a skater and then you're Tony Hawk's building an elite crew and get good at skateboarding and talk to these real skaters and it'll be great. If Tony Hawk was a game about like a cartoon golden retriever on a skateboard, <laughs> its physics would make way more sense to me <laughs> because the actual things you're doing in that game like apply to like late nineties, early aughts, like dumb commercials about skateboarding like oh you're gonna trick up to like outer space or something ridiculous like that and so like the physics have an internal logic but they're cartoon physics Mm -hmm. and the game doesn't present itself as a cartoon game really i think it kind of presents itself as a cartoon game not entirely but the the opening isn't that much different than like skate well the thing is the the new thing this year is nail the trick uh in this game so it's riding this line of attempting to uh, change the tony hawk aesthetic and modernize it and give it all these weird proportions and emphasize the fact that this is not a realistic world whilst also uh, bringing in this mechanic that focuses very specifically on the physicality of the tricks in a, yeah, so, in a real way like it also has so an alternate mode that does nail, all the things nail, we did to talk about Nail the trick is my favorite part of this game. Yeah, because it is surprisingly mm-hmm. in it's where you you take specific jumps and then the game will slow down and zoom in on your board and your sticks control your your left and right foot and basically the whole point is to use your feet to guide the board through like spins and loops and flips 
and also get it in a position where you can land still. And that is the most understanding the realistic, like clearly no one's going to do those kind of board tricks. That's not like going to happen, but the feeling of the board and how you kick it and how it reacts to that feels so much more like consistent with how you'd expect a human body to move than anything else in that game. Yeah. It's a thing that can be intuited through movement Mm -hmm. and everything behaves how you expect. Yep. (laughs) Like, did you get to the nail the trick stuff, Destiny? Never. Oh, could not figure out how to unlock that, or not unlock it, but like to trigger that. Uh, I'm sorry, because when you got there, you would you would have enjoyed that. <laughs> I probably would have. It sounded really cool. I watched a few videos of it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's cool. Because the nail the trick stuff's goofy, but it kind of reminds me of the Hall of Meat stuff from Skate. Yeah. In that it just turns it into like a physics mini game for a little while, and it's just how much you can manipulate this one little one-off thing, and then you can go back right back to all of the normal stuff you're doing. What I like about Nail the Trick and its um, follow-ups, Nail the Grind, uh, Nail the Grab, and Nail the Manual from Proving Ground, uh, which I'm sad never made it into an actual good game, uh, is that they allow you to change the combo system without ever interrupting it. Like just doing tricks in Tony Hawk's is very monotonous. Uh, even if you're tricking around the entire world, it can it can get extreme samey. But having this moment to breathe and control the physics of your board and allow yourself to position into the ways you want it yourself to uh, adds something to the flow of combos in the, the game and the rhythm that I think is uh, genius in how it fixes the combo system. Mm-hmm. When I think about why I expected this game to be something else, I think it all boils down to that opening video, actually. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like two minutes of slow motion skateboarding just doing like simple grinds and grabs like it's the most down-to-earth thing that it's advertising and the game actually is not that at all except for the nail the uh, trick mode Mm -hmm. well it works on two levels that opening video because it is essentially a statement that tony hawk is about skateboarding again because before it was like about stealing the hollywood sign and jackass so (laughs) from from that context it this game is about skateboarding it's a it's about a ridiculous cartoony kind of skateboarding in the game but it is all uh very focused on its own movement and then it has this other mode that is uh very intuitive physically but uh removed from that context it's selling a game in which the pleasure comes from the moment you are able to land these extremely simple tricks, which is exactly what Skate is. Like, Skate plays like someone watched that video and said, we should just make this. Yeah, and it's really good at doing that. (laughs) Yeah. So Skate came out after? Skate came out the next year. Okay. uh, At the same time Tony Hawk's Proving Ground did, and they were, like, in competition. Skate destroyed it, uh, and and Tony Hawk was immediately shut down. Got it. I mean, they made those uh, games with the uh, board, but they were a completely different studio, and they're all bad. And then they made Tony Hawk HD, and that's fucking terrible too. And Tony Hawk's Five looks bad as well. It looks, it looks bad. I'm sorry, it looks bad. Is it just classic mode again? It seems to be. Okay, great. That's so. Scheme has classic mode in it, and as someone who didn't like really understand the his attempts to try to struggle through early Tony Hawk. That I don't understand why that's fun. Like, why collecting like a bunch of things in a two-minute time limit is a thing any human would enjoy. Uh, because classic mode in later Tony Hawk games, or especially in this one, just applying it to the open world is not really an honest representation of what classic mode is. In okay. old, it, it's not a good. 
it, you can't really compare that to old Tony Hawk because one, the scores are so much higher because it expects all this ridiculousness, whereas old Tony Hawk two minute levels were designed with a far lower threshold for what you expect you to do. Okay. Um, two, the open world is designed to be this free flowing open world that you are, can go anywhere and just do all the tricks. The um, in the first three Tony Hawk games, the levels are designed with lines and places, and the two minute timer is basically giving you a challenge of learn the levels, learn the world, learn where the goal is, and eventually you'll be able to do as many as you can in two minutes. And it gives a sense of familiarity with the space that even in these two-minute modes in this game, you will never get. Uh, so those two things alone, there's a lot more differences, but those two things change the context of what classic Tony Hawk is. Uh, mm. I, th- I don't think classic Tony Hawk is great. I think the Project 8 framing device is the best framing device the series ever chose. But... I don't think classic mode here is a good representation of old Tony Hawk. I don't want to be too harsh on it. So the actual, like, so eventually I got to the point where I liked riding around and skating and I understood how to move through the world. The actual, like, goals that were, that the story goals you need to progress the story in this game are clearly the result of this is a series that everyone who's played it has played a lot of them because they're all incredibly hard yeah they're super tricky you have to be so fast and you have to know exactly what you're doing and i think one of the things about tony hawk is that it's always frustrating and always difficult no matter how good you get at it like tony hawk in some ways is a game about failure because you are going to combo until you bail. You're not going to land. You're going to just go until you stop going. And no matter how high you get, you're always going to find the place where you can't go anymore and then you're going to fall and then you're going to feel frustrated. Uh, Tony Hawk's combo system is a very capitalist thing in that way in which it is designed to make you frustrated that you can't just be a little bit higher and a little bit better at it all the time. Uh, I, I think that's a uh, very fair critique of how that game is set up. It's, it's weird because it's it's punishing in a way that like these kind of home versions of arcade sensibilities don't like. I don't feel like they usually are. Like I look at something like Crazy Taxi or something like SSX, and those are games that are about like time limits and in SSX trick uh, instance doing crazy tricks and building up combos, but they're more forgiving. They're more improvisational and they discreetly give you places where, like, in SSX, you do a huge jump and you do a bunch of tricks, but then you land it and then you continue skating, like, snowboarding down a hill or whatever, because you have to, because there's not another place to trick off of. Like, the idea of this endless combo is, like, really exhausting. And I don't think it's for anybody who hasn't played just a ton of Tony Hawk. Like, why would you want an endless combo? That doesn't make sense. That's not what skateboarding's about. Because it is the, like, you get into a flow of how you move. It is about, I can do this, and then I can do the next thing, so how many things can I do at once? Endless tricks aren't, like, that's not what actual skateboarding flow is to me. Like, that's just an expression of, like, the increasing scores of video games. Like, this thing is 10 points, and now it's a 1,000 points, and... Whereas, like, the actual flow, like, in something like Skate, like, just skitching off of cars and then, like, going down hills and maybe grinding, a, like, a curb, but just, like, the feeling of movement is the flow state. You don't need a bunch of numbers and meters assigned to it I don't, to create flow I don't state. think Tony Hawk is defined, its flow state is defined by the numbers. In fact, I, I think getting rid of the numbers in open world, like, the numbers are meaningless in the open world, they don't mean anything, and yet I would still trick off everything. 
because that's why I'm there. I am there to go from object to object. I'm there to move in these very specific ways, these limited ways, because the feeling and the expression of I achieved these things is rewarding in and of itself. I don't actually care that much about the goal structure. If I'm loading up Tony Hawk, I'm not doing any goals. I'm just randomly doing tricks until I fall and then carrying on. But don't you get tired of like not having like new places to go? I mean, yeah, regard. they should make more of these games. Okay, because <laughs> like, yeah, it seems so small, and that's why it felt overall kind of like kind of what I don't know what game you guys were talking about. What one of you said earlier: there's lots to do, but it's an empty feeling, and that's how I felt about this. Mm-hmm. That's that's totally fair. Like these are completely fair criticisms, but it's a just, lot of uh, them. Long term player, long time player versus new player thought mode. Yeah, and I, I think one comparing it to what real skating is is completely irrelevant in how the video good Tony game. Hawk is. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it is its own thing. Even if it came out of like the first game came out of this place to make a skateboarding game, but afterwards they were just making sequels to Tony Hawk, and this is where it led them. Right. And I I think it's a really interesting place. Plus, I think had it continued to exist uh, with Skate existing as well, like that would have justified Tony Hawk so much more to me because Skate is the thing about skateboarding and about that sense of movement. But Tony Hawk is just a ridiculous thing that I enjoy uh, about the feeling of moving between um, objects in a, in a world. And I, I, th- I think it still has value. I'm always okay. going to mark for it. That's fine. Yeah, it's what you like. And I think the goal structure of Project 8 emphasizes that in a way the games never have, because uh, mostly they're in the post-4 era. They have been um, just, do this very specific thing to do the thing, and then you'll get to the next goal. And that doesn't emphasize just moving around, whereas uh, Project 8 just has a number you have to make get higher and you can do any goal to affect that, so it's way more structured to allow you to just do what you want. Like, you're really harsh on it now, but I think if you played Proving Ground, you would look back on the days of Project Day and think, Jesus Christ, they were so much better. They had yeah, a good idea. That doesn't, that, doesn't fill me, that doesn't fill me with like desire to like play more Project 8, though. Like, no. The, like, the idea that there are shittier games than this doesn't make me like this one more. It just means that this game is what it is, and it got worse. I... It also came after other things that were bad. Like, they just struggled to find a way to express what Tony Hawk was in a modern era, and this is the closest they got with that. I think with a little more refinement of the ideas in Project 8, they could have made something really amazing, but they never got the chance. Mm-hmm. It's weird, because, like, when I think of what this game looks like in the modern era to me, I imagine like just a Steam early access game where you just skate around like there's no goals at all. It's just an environment and uh, the ability to move. Mm-hmm. And that's all you get. And it's all like really that's all anyone would ask for, I feel like, on some level. Pretty much. So like the idea that they are making formal games with like progression that are like sold in boxes or whatever is baffling to me. Because that's just not like this video game. I don't understand who this video game is for other than obviously you and a bunch of people in the 90s it's it's for the fans yeah it's a very punk rock cult (laughs) uh way of looking at uh releasing a game sequel but also like activision doesn't make games for the fans so i mean they yeah they do 
Apparently, sense. Tony Hawk franchises do. They Activision totally do. They make games to sell to the people who did the, bought them last year and keep buying them until they have gone away, and then they will do a new thing. After after the HD mess, the only I don't like. I assume that game didn't do great, so HD I don't know do how it. they looked at a spreadsheet and then said, "Let's make another Tony Hawk." Like I'm amazed that happened because they have a contract with Tony Hawk all the way till like 2016. When that contract ends, the Tony Hawk games will end. Fair enough. Uh, the Tony Hawk Five looks really bad, by the way. Oh god, it looks bad. I'm so sad. It looks like HD again, which was terrible. Oh, they misunderstood everything. Yeah, I need to take a look at that. I don't. I I didn't uh, look up anything about it. It's it's slow. It has no satisfying sense of movement whatsoever. It's like, for example, when you grind, you don't you don't like slow down and in a way that's interesting about forcing yourself to set up tricks but you don't also speed up and the sounds for all the uh, like reverts and uh landing and everything are all really tiny i it's just full of tiny problems that make it feel wrong because i think tony hawk is entirely defined by its moment to moment feel and Romoto have never nailed that and i don't and the videos i've seen of five they look just like a reskin to hd just in the movement and i can tell it's gonna play wrong and also it's going back to pro it's a sequel to pro skater 4 maybe the worst game in the tony hawk franchise so shrug weird weird um I don't have anything else, Jackson. I I ended up kind of respecting this game moment to moment, but I don't like it at all. I know. That's okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed me monologuing about skateboarding games. That's what this was always going to be. That's what we wanted. It's better than two weeks ago where you and me got in a shouting match about how games should be designed. Did we? Did we do that? Yeah. Yeah. About this game? I yes. guess you did. Yeah, you did. Uh, you I yelled guess we about did over Skate Skype. 2 a bunch, and it was ridiculous. I th- your your argument was just, why? And my argument was like, eh. It was a really productive discussion. Yep. Video games. So, that's it? Is that all we got? Is this the end of Tony Hawk for us? Ask me anything about skateboarding games. You will have each have one question. Where's Skate 4? Fuck knows. They're never going to make it. EA, Star Wars Skate 4 coming soon. Nah. Uh, you know, I'd play that. I don't give a shit. <laughs> shit, yeah, you'd play that. You'd I would. Would buy. Yeah. Would buy. What if, what if they just do that and, like, Fett's Vet is, like, the theme song? <laughs> is Fett's Vet a Star Wars character? No, it's Fett's Vet is a song. It is just this cool song about Boba Fett. Well. It, oh. it is not made. In a, it is just a fan, like, thing. Okay, well, that reference didn't play. I can't believe you've not heard Fett's Vet. What's it's a Fett's Vet? What is a Fett's Vet? I've ne- what? It's about Boba Fett's Corvette. <laughs> God damn it, Star Wars fans, stop. That'll do, Destiny Star Wars fans, that'll do. <laughs> a question? Uh, anything to ask about skateboarding games? I don't really have any. I appreciate them. I'm glad they're still trucking, even though they are not, not for me. They're not. No, they're dead. Ollie Ollie exists. Oh, well, yeah. Ollie Ollie exists is a different thing entirely, but it does exist. There's still a, you're making a number bigger situation, right? Perfect Stride happens. Perfect Stride's good. Yep. That game will be a real game someday that people can buy and play, but it is good as it is in its demo form. People can go back and play Thrasher, Skate or Die if they want to. 
I have a copy of that right on top of my Wii U, actually. You, you did uh, put in Thrasher Skate or Die before you did this segment. I did not. Nope, Jesus! <laughs> I didn't get a that chance is... to play Skate, so... Thra- Thrasher Skate or Die is like this... <laughs> the forgotten competitor. It's the Betamax to Tony Hawk's VHS. Cause it's... I know, I'm very excited to play it. <laughs> it's just what Skate would have been if it was designed in 1990. Uh, it's interesting... Nine. Because Skate feels like a game that couldn't exist before the generation in which it does. It, so. You're right, but it, it Thrash is all about lining up lines and preloading jumps and having a sense of momentum. And it's, it's bulls hard, and no one liked it because it was bulls hard. But I appreciate what it's trying to do, and I'm so glad that I have a copy. I have a box the, of fuck off skateboarding games over there. There's a lot of them. Jesus Christ. The King's Field of skateboarding games. <laughs> Thrasher, Skate of Destroy. Thrasher, Skate of Destroy, yeah. I guess that makes I guess that makes skate the dark souls of video of skateboarding games. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you act and how you think? Pretend they're not the same as you. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you act and how Well, with that bullshit out of the way, it's time for our question segment. So, Jackson, you promised you wouldn't questions. be passive aggressive about how bad Tony Hawk is. I actually, like I said, I have a lot of respect for that game. Good, because it didn't start out that way. Okay, no. Uh, all right, uh, we put out an impassioned call for questions to celebrate uh, Destiny's uh, premiere episode here. Technically, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we got a bunch of our friends being assholes, so thank you guys. Uh, we, we love you all. It. We did it. Dylan, ask a real question. God damn it. He, he actually did ask a couple real, real questions. Oh, okay. I only saw the bullshit ones. Eventually I silenced my phone because I went to go see Inside Out while he was doing all that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dylan because he's like the perfect person to annoy you because he will prod you in these perfect ways, but doesn't actually care about you being annoyed with him like i get really anxious but it just rolls off him it's kind of great to watch you two interact (laughs) anyway uh here's the first question um which one should i choose i'm gonna do a real ass video game question from dylan uh what is your favorite use of the big giant huge bright arrow like from crazy taxi so uh, I assume that means like what are the good systems that are uh, like directing you towards other things in games, like good UI design in orientating you within a world. That's what I'm going to boil the so, essence of that down to. So I, I have two. The first one is Fable Two, yes, which gives you the glowing breadcrumb trail of this is your quest. Uh, a, because it's very good at not getting you lost because it is clearly just the game has delineated this is the path to take to any uh, goal you need. But also because when you wander off of it, like it it always, when you see it again, it feels like you've returned home to safety 
Like, you can go off and do a dumb side quest, but the minute you come back, you're like, okay, now I'm on the main path. I know where I'm going. I can never get lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. And then the second one is actually the compass in Skyrim and Fallout, which is kind of the like postmodern version of this in that it will give you a thousand little arrows to explore and will constantly distract you while you're trying to get something done by popping up new things that you're like, oh, I could go there. I could go there. If I deviate 10 degrees, I'm going to go see what's in that cave and maybe it'll take me an hour and I'll forget all about my main quest, but it's there. It's just the like maximal distraction version of that that I think is beautiful because it kind of subverts the idea that you you can just follow a single goal. Like you could totally ignore that stuff. I don't know any human being who can play like a uh, Bethesda game and not just wander off every three seconds and something shiny shows up. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that like Fable 2, if it was released uh, a little after when it was, it would be seen as way better than it is? Because I feel like a lot of its design in terms of that breadcrumb stuff, especially was mocked at the time, but it's really solid and good. I mean, they'd still have to fix the part where the last third of that game is hot garbage. But mm, true. if they could do that, and it doesn't actually have a real ending that matters. But if they could do all that, it'd be <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Uh, Destiny, what are, what are your answers to this? Actually, the first thing that popped in my head was Fable 2. I don't really think there's a better one, for, at least mm-hmm. in my experiences. I'm all trying to think for me. The, a weird one I have, which I, I don't... The use of best is... I disagree with that. But one I think of a lot is when I did play WoW for a few months, I installed these add-ons which added a just green crazy taxi arrow to everything (laughs) and transformed that game into just uh, go in this direction to do the thing, to do the thing, and ruined it but also made it work for me and made it the most mindless thing ever and my experience of wow is defined by installing that green arrow mm-hmm. uh and that was fun i feel like i should have a better answer because i i've played some video games in my time no in actuality like glowing arrows exist because your game is confusingly designed like they ideally you shouldn't need one mm-hmm Ah, Crazy Taxi needs one, and that's not confusing to design. Like that's that's different. Like if you're talking explicitly about huge giant arcade games, that's like Crazy Taxi is about finding like the arrow in Crazy Taxi is deceptive because it points you in the direction of where you need to go, which you need to know, but it doesn't actually tell you anything about how to get there. No, and the trick in getting good at Crazy Taxi is discovering how to do that. Yeah, like Crazy Taxi's green arrow serves a purpose in how it uh, influences the design of the game because it's basically a clue. Uh, yep. And I think it's really good about being that because it has that one moment where it hovers over where you need to go, then it pops back and mm-hmm. you drive off and it's great. Uh, also, this is like three weeks in a row of us talking about Crazy Taxi. Good job. Yay! <laughs> records. Yeah, well, records, yeah. And uh, I think it's really good there. But yeah, I guess you're right. If Usually your game is not doing well if you have a massive arrow to point yourself where to go. Mm-hmm. That's generally bad. Imagine if they put that into Gone Home. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, someone must have modded that in right that's pretty good oh my goodness maybe next question okay next question um, continuing on the Fable 2 theme uh, from Cho we have uh, who are the best companion dogs in video games 
is there anything else other than this is inspired by the Fallout 4 announcement, I think, when dogs were the rage. Um Midna in Twilight Princess is a companion human to Wolf Link. Does that count? I think that counts. It counts. So the inversion of the companion yeah, dog. But it's it's clearly based on that whole companion dog idea. What's the name of that <laughs> a good weird tra- dog in Link's Awakening that you have to like rescue and then you end up walking around with it for ages and it eats food for you? Like eats Bow Wow. He's also not a dog, he's a chain chomp that they treat like a dog. Oh, I always like that. Are you telling me the little Bow Wow is in Link's Awakening? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he is a chain chomp. No. <laughs> Lil Bow Wow as chain chomp. Oh, good for him. Getting paid, getting that CSI cyber money. Yeah. I can't. I mean, the best, the, the real the actual is Torchlight, right? I was going to say, the best actual animal companion is Torchlight because it goes and sells vendor <laughs> it's, trash it for you. It sells your trash. It sells your trash, you wait for it, it comes back. <laughs> Do you remember when Torchlight 2 came out and everyone forgot about it instantly? I played like six hours of that game, it was fine. It's fine, but Torchlight had already happened. Yep. You just get a dog that can summon skeletons and sell vendor trash, like how could you not hate that game? And you, you're like, oh, I didn't actually want bigger Torchlight, I just wanted Torchlight in the time I played yep. Torchlight. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and that time has passed, the Torchlight is out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I feel like I should have more dogs, but uh, I don't remember any dogs. A dog's a big deal in video games apart from Call of Duty dog. I mean, there's Fable 2 dog, which is like the proto it's like the Ur dog, even though there's been dogs before that. It's that the is true the dog, dog that matters. Yeah. It is the dog that has made this a trope, I feel like. <laughs> it's it dog totally now, is. man. It's my dog. The dog dies. It's my dog. The dog dies. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. The dog dies. Also, anyone who didn't choose to bring your dog back to life is the thing to do as a fucking monster. <laughs> I paid $10 to bring my dog back to life. Oh, did you pick something else? You're a monster. Well, I knew I could pay $10. To... Oh, when I did it, the ability to pay $10 didn't exist yet. <laughs> so since the DLC had not been announced. Did you choose to live in an empty world with your dog? It's not empty. There's some people there. It's just a lot less people. Yeah, they, everyone dies. Man. Whatever, they can stay dead. My dog is more important than people. I still feel this way. Like, the people close to me are way more important than, like, abstract numbers of people. That's just human behavior. Sure, but you want to end the sun. So I don't trust your judgment in these situations. <laughs> uh-huh. are, you, are you saying that this podcast is just charting my sociopathy as it grows and Pretty grows? Much. I don't think sociopathy is the right word for it. But Something. I don't know if they have a term for is a JRPG villain. <laughs> it's not in the DSM. Yeah, it's not in the thing. Comes in. I literally just talked to Sephiroth today. Yeah, he doesn't want to stop the sun. He's actually a bad example of that. He wants to devour the life force of the planet. That's different. Yeah. I don't. I'm not interested in planet life force. No, you want the sun to stop. For <laughs> like, I want to stop the sun to save the planet. Yes. Uh, Sephiroth has far more selfish motivations. Uh, yeah. You are doing this for the good of everyone else. That's, no, no, that's not true. Don't pretend it is. <laughs> next question, Jackson. Okay, next question. Uh, Dylan sent in about 50 questions. So, uh, what is your favorite... Uh, no, what is the best console shooter that isn't like Halo or whatever? So, he specifically said he didn't want like really popular ones, so GoldenEye was out. 
Yeah, which I don't understand because I feel like GoldenEye is a fine answer for that. I, don't, I feel like I like that game, and I don't even play yeah. shooters. So, like with that gone, I don't actually have a lot of experience with shooters. So my answer has to be Spec Ops: The Line, which I think is a perfectly great game. Yep, Spec Ops: The Line is great. Uh, as someone who has a little more experience. Uh, like I really like Bulletstorm, but I don't remember if it's good or if I just thought it was good at the time. I need to replay that. Uh, that that thing in Turok where you shoot guys in the neck and they like spurt blood as they grab their neck—that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, Pariah, talk to me about Pariah. I, I don't, I don't know what Pariah is. <laughs> Forgotten shooters of uh, 2003, Project okay. Snowblind. <laughs> okay, are these just contemporaries of Black? Like that's the one I think of when I think of Black. Came out shooters. a little later, but I really okay. liked Black at the time. Uh, I remember people being really up on Black, and for reasons that I don't understand, because it just looks like boring shooters. It is, but it was explosions. Explosions. The game Black caused me and my friends, or my one friend who lives miles away, to just describe any kind of reckless approach to play as just playing it Black. Mm-hmm. So, that, a that's it's a great term. Uh, <laughs> the best, the actual best answers for this are a trio of games, which are Gunstar Heroes for the Genesis, <laughs> soon to be soon to be a uh, 3DS 3D version that will be great, I'm sure. Um, a uh, Killer Seven, which you you shoot in the first person, even. Um, it's it's kind of like an on rails thing the rest of the time, but whatever. And uh, Ikaruga, which is a shooter. Ikaruga is a shmup. That's a different thing. I remember when we used the term shooter to describe these games, oh. and then Doom happened, and Doom clones happened, and then first person shooter happened, and then shooter happened, and then the actual original shooters had to go find a new genre to live in, and it was sad. Yep, they had to have a weird portmanteau of shmup. Yep. Yep. <laughs> have you, Destiny, I know uh, um, shooters are the furthest thing from your jam possible. Is there anything that you can think of from your weird experience of games? I have nothing. No. It's a good life to live not playing shooters, to be honest. <laughs> the kind of Next di- question. Uh, Is there anything that isn't from Dylan still on the list? Um, I mean, there are things, but they're all just Cho and Rick being... Assholes. I didn't. What did Rick ask? I didn't. Actually, I'm really bad at question. Answer. I'm really bad at question ideas. So, what question would you most like to be asked, and how would you answer? How about a good question? <laughs> wow. About, that would generate <laughs> yeah, no. a topic of discussion. <laughs> I know. Why are the Why people who you... listen to our podcast monsters? Like, stop it. If you like, have... Kins, you're smart. Ask us a question. <laughs> God damn it. Why would you ask that? Don't. Even I'd like to me. wish for more wishes, please. Like what? <laughs> The yeah. Lack probably listens. Hey, the Lack, ask us, ask us a cool question about like gay stuff, please. Or Cho could ask us gay stuff. Who had the best ask in Dragon Age, and why is it Cullen? That's Cho's question about gay stuff. I I don't know who Cullen is. I didn't play that. Dragon it's Age, um. It's just talking about Drinkquisition. Oh, oh, I okay. never played. I don't it. care about that. Yep, me neither. So none of them. It's arseless, arseless game. <laughs> Uh, we have one more Dylan question, because he said an actual real question, so I guess we'll end on this real question. Okay. Um, are there any games that aren't traditional walking sims traditional, uh, where sometimes you treat them like one? I mean, I, I, we talked about we talk, Fallout. Yep, Red Dead Redemption's mine, we talked about that. 
Uh, I kind of play Burnout Paradise like it's pretend Ridge Racer, where I just kind of drift through the mountains for no good reason. Me too. So that kind of counts. That's the question. It's like, what are the big games that do have a lot of explicit goals that you play just to be in them and in the space? Yeah, just kind of walk around and enjoy life. Uh, Warcraft, I used to just get on the giant flying dragon thingamajig and I would just look at the environments. Mm-hmm. Yep, that totally counts. That counts. That's one of them. I, I never got far enough in Warcraft to have a flying mount. Makes me sad. Yakuza, I did that in a lot. Yep, Yakuza's good for That's that. That's a great game to just live in. Also, Sleeping Dogs is a great Vice game to City, I would just drive around and listen to the New Wave station. Yep, that's a perfectly good response. Vice City is one of those games that is designed to like combine soundtrack with movement with world in this really cool oh. way. You open that game by getting in the car and Billie Jean comes on. That's so perfect. That's, like, the best. I'm gonna expand this question on that note. Hey, favorite music cues in anything? No, this could be a whole fucking subject. Don't burn that. Okay, we can't burn that. We're burning that another time. Also, I need to think about it a lot. Okay, make a list or something. Tune in another time when we talk about use of music and music cues in a segment two. That can be its own thing. When that Puddle of Mud song opened that Ace Combat game. <laughs> uh, okay. Favorite lines of dialogue, I walk on. Yeah. yeah. That's, so silly. That's a podcast. Yep. Uh, plugs, Destiny, where can people find you that isn't here? At Bridge Buzz now, all one word on Twitter. Uh, I have a junk culture podcast with Rhea Dauhauer called Badland Girls. You can find that at badlandgirls.com or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Um, oh, Jackson and I have one together called The Goof Zone. Where can you find The Goof Zone, Jackson? It's on my website. We need to start up. We need to finish our setup that we need to do uh, and put that on its own website. But for now... Goddamn goof.zone. How did you fuck this up? <laughs> we are poor and I just bought a PlayStation so I don't have any money anymore. I can't even afford oh, drinks. I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll get goof.zone. Uh, but for now, it is on headfoolsoff.com, uh, sub- and just search, uh, headfoolsoff-podcasts, or podcast-headfoolsoff, I think it is, in iTunes, and you'll get a combined feed with this, uh, movie podcast, Trashback Ratio, and Goof Zone, all coming to you. Goof Zone's about mental health and general silliness. It's a good time. Did you plug your Twitter? I'm at headfoolsoff on Twitter, so go there for bad tweets about Blink-182. <laughs> All right, you can uh, find me on Twitter at LitRock. Uh, the podcast, you can send us questions to podcast at emeraldmapping.com, right? You can. Please do. Please do. And you can find us, of course, on the website, emeraldmapping.com. Find us on YouTube. I will still be playing Gemini Rue when this goes up. I will probably be playing Castlevania 2. Uh, but coming up soon is Lego Star Wars and Fallout New Vegas and Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda so is going to go up a week after they start. Oh, well, okay. I just right. changed the cha- I changed the schedule. I flipped the script on Why? You. Why did you do that? For reasons. Is there a reason? Yeah. Okay. Do you have something else going in its place? No. I'm just waiting okay. a week. I don't want two All things right. starting at once. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, that's acceptable. Um, we'll be back uh, in two weeks to talk about Final Fantasy VIII, the end of it, assuming... Uh, <laughs>
Assuming everybody finishes, we might have a guest, but it's up in the air, so I don't want to talk about it right now, but let's hope. And uh, next, we will not na- announce the next game for Game Club until that podcast, so look forward to that. That's shorthand for we don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. Uh, everyone say goodnight, and we're going to go Good home. night. But I already am home. The podcast Bye. is coming from inside the house. <laughs> we're done. We're done. Bye. Stop. <laughs> Bye. Racing faster every minute